When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here again with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. First time the three of us have been together on the podcast in uh, several weeks. Jim, we've um, made mention every week that you've been gone, that you've been on the uh, all-time longest pipeline vacation. Well, it was broken up by a week in between, but we missed you. You were uh, off off gallivanting uh, around the world, or a small part of the world, uh, but glad to have you back. I actually was back for two weeks. I'm upset you didn't remember I was back for two weeks. <laughs> and I, I've now become accustomed to the schedule, so I'm just letting you know that after I get back from the fall league, uh, I'll work another week, and I'm going to take the last two weeks of October, November, and December off. So this is my, <laughs> this is my new schedule. I, 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 I'm not sure that math adds up, but enjoy. Yes, that's what, that's what I'm doing. Jim got, Jim got back and uh, sent him straight out to Arizona. Are you fluent in Italian now? I, I'm not, but it's like I still am like got to adjust to the Italy to Arizona time difference, which is – think nine hours nine hour difference so um sounds right as i record this i think it's like 5 30 in the afternoon in in italy so i need dinner i need a good italian dinner when i'm done with the podcast <laughs> at uh 8 30 a.m <laughs> yes so jim's out in arizona for the arizona fall league which uh will be uh, subject matter that we'll cover on the podcast Today, we'll, uh, in fact, talk to one of the top prospects out there. Jim had a chance to catch up with Tigers prospect Jace Young. We're also going to, we've been previewing the year-end MILB award show on MLB Network, which just uh, aired over the weekend. That was a lot of fun to work on and put together and then see that all come together. And we previewed a, a bunch of the categories and finalists, and now we can talk about the winners also want to break down one of the categories was the all MILB prospect team, uh, formerly known as the prospect team of the year. So we want to dig into that a little bit and uh, talk a little bit also about the team of the year. And uh, then we're the postseason is the big thing. As we record this, the postseason kicks off today. So uh, we do want to talk about the postseason as it pertains to prospects and rookies. Uh, we've done our annual story on how each of the 12 postseason teams were built um, using the draft, free agency, international crop, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit and also the rookies that uh, you'll be able to watch in the postseason. And we'll answer a question from the mailbag and from Mr. Mailbag, Stevie D. All right. Uh, let's, let's get into the award show recap. As I mentioned, we previewed a bunch of these categories and who the finalists were the big winners, uh, of the, the bigger awards, the minor league hitting prospect of the year, 
Um, not much of a surprise here, but uh, Orioles' number one prospect and MLB's number one prospect, Jackson Holiday. Um, not really a surprise, but um, and I, I don't know that you guys would necessarily necessarily say it was very close in terms of the voting. It 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 wasn't really close, but I mean the season that Junior Caminero had, um, you'd certainly uh, not be, uh, you know, you, you could easily name him the hitting prospect of the year and have no qualms with that if it, if it weren't for really like a, a once uh, sort of generational sort of season that Jackson Holiday had and, and being 19 years of age, raking all the way up the ladder to AAA, um, but Jackson Caminero really right there with him. And I know I was kind of needling you guys throughout the process that, uh, he deserved more consideration than he was getting. But, uh, I think everybody came down on the side of holiday. Yeah, I'm going to needle you. A, did you just call him Jackson Caminero? You, you, like, you just created a super prospect. prospect. Oh, I did? You yes, did. Yes, oh, Jackson okay. Caminero would be Jackson really Holiday, good. Jackson Holiday, Jackson Caminero, wow. and now Jackson Caminero. Oh, my God. I, I was going to say the parallel to me, Jason, is kind of like this year's draft where you just had we, – we talked repeatedly about how you had five guys who could have been the number one picks in a normal year. Like Dylan Cruz would have been number one pick in a lot of years. Wyatt Langford, who's been spectacular in his debut, would have been number one pick in a lot of years. Uh, you, know, you had Max Clark and you, you had um, Walker Jenkins also. And I, I think the player of the year award or the hitter of the year award was, was very similar in that we just had two outstanding candidates, but you can only pick one. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I know that we talked uh, about it at length just to make sure that we were picking the guy we thought should should get it. And I, I think you framed it exactly right, Jason. If it the year that Jackson Holiday had was astounding, but I don't think there was that much separating the two of them at all. I, just his, his ability to jump across that many levels in his first full season just gave him, you know, the slightest bit of an edge. And that takes nothing away from the ridiculous year that junior Caminero had. Yeah. I mean, Caminero's numbers, uh, just if you look at his raw numbers, maybe slightly better than holidays, uh, but a year older um, played, did play a majority of the season at double a actually played more games at, at, the higher levels of double A AA and triple A than, than holiday did. But, you know, Jackson did climb up to triple A bit of a slow start there, but it ended up with a 796 OPS across 18 games. And, uh, you know, he had uh, a slash line of 338, 421, 507 and 36 games at double A um, compared to Caminero who played 81 games at double A and had a slash line of 309, 373, 548 for a 921 OPS. So impressive numbers for both of them. And we didn't, we didn't even mention Michael Bush, who, again, if you're looking strictly at the numbers, probably had superior numbers. He was what, second overall in uh, OPS among all minor league hitters. Is that right? Yeah, it is. I mean, he did play in the, in the PCL. I mean, Michael Bush I, is a very good prospect. But I mean, I think the PCL is a, is a hitter's paradise. And, you know, if you look at, you know, WRC plus and you line those guys up, it would be Holiday, Caminero, Bush. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I think when you do these awards and we've done the hitting prospect of the year award for 
I don't know how many years. And, you know, I was at Baseball America forever. And we had the we had a minor league overall player of the year award. You know, it, it's not just pure. If we're going pure numbers. I mean, Blake Dunn. I mean, what are your Blake Dunn hat or Justice Bigby? I mean, there's a lot of guys. But, but I think with these awards, at least to me, it's it's a combination of huge performance. But you have to bake the prospecting goodness into it as well. It's not just a pure statistical award. And again, I mean, Junior Caminero is what number six on the top 100. Like <laughs> we, we, either one we of those some guys. Hardware. Yeah, either one. Yeah, he did, which which is nice. But either one of those guys would have been a, a great choice. Yeah. So Junior Caminero got the Breakout Prospect of the Year award, um, which to be in consideration for that, uh, you had to be outside of the top 100 entering the season, which he was, and as was just pointed out, is all the way uh, up to number six at this point. The MILB debut of the year went to. Padres 17-year-old catching prospect Ethan Salas, who, you know, I think shocked everyone when they when he was skipped over uh complex leagues, went to single A up to high A, and then in the in the you know most surprising move of the ball this year for him went to double A. And um, you know, while his production uh tailed off a bit as he went up the ladder. I mean, just the the fact that he was playing at those levels and holding his own, um, that earned him the MILB debut of the year award. Uh, The defensive prospect of the year, I think, came as uh, no real surprise to anyone, Pete Crow Armstrong. And then the pitching prospect of the year, uh, this is one I wanted to have you guys touch on because I think this one, similar to the hitting prospect of the year, there were a couple guys uh, who you certainly uh, could have tabbed for this award, and uh, I think there was a, a good amount of uh, uh, opinion that that uh, Robbie Snelling was deserving of the award. But it, you guys, tell us how uh, it landed on Drew Thorpe here. And for me, there was again. I, I would have been fine with Robbie Snelling. He had an absolutely tremendous year. He reached Double A as a teenager. Uh, he was really, really good. But the fact that Drew Thorpe threw, what, 35-plus more innings than Snelling did, it, to do it over a lengthier period, and then there's, you know, a lot of the numbers are, you know, close or Thorpe had a, an edge for. But to me, and, uh, you know, it's not Snelling's fault. You know, they're obviously keeping a relatively short leash on a high school kid in his first full year of pro ball. But he just topped 100 innings, and Thorpe almost hit 140 innings. And to me, that was a bit of a separator in terms of him doing it deeper into starts. Um, and this is even after getting you know, shut down uh, at the very end of the season a little bit. Yeah, I, Jonathan, I, I, I the same exact decision for me when I when we were voting on these things. Uh, Robbie Snelling would have been a very deserving winner. It's just tough with the way teams use pitchers now, especially in the minor leagues. I'm pretty sure Robbie Snelling didn't even officially qualify for the ERA title. Um, he, you know, it was a few innings short, and it just the, the difference in innings to me was what it was. I mean, both those guys are good prospects. Um, you know, Snelling's ranked ahead of, of Thorpe on the top 100, but they're um, again, I think either one would have been a good choice. But I think you know, 35 extra innings. I think Drew Thorpe, who led the Myerson strikeouts, struck out 64 guys. 
more than than Snelling. He had a higher strikeout rate. He had a lower walk rate. He had a lower batting average against. He had a lower WHIP. Um, you know, Snelling's ERA was was lower. But yeah, I think that the difference in innings made it an easier choice for me separating those two guys. Snelling's ERA was lower, but his xFIP was higher. Um, you know, just to throw in another, you know, statistical index where Thorpe was ahead. Thorpe led all minor league pitchers with 100 or more innings in XFIP um, to go along with all the other things you ticked off. Yeah. So, it's like, that one was, like, I feel like that decision was a little easier for me just because of the difference in innings. All right. Let's um, take a look at the prospect team of the year, the all MILB teams. We uh, name a first and second team. And, of course, uh, a lot of the guys that we've been discussing uh, were on those two teams, uh, starting with the, of course, hitting prospect of the year, Jackson Holiday, uh, at third base, Junior Caminero. Um, Drew Thorpe was the right-handed pitcher on the first team. Robbie Snelling was the left-handed pitcher. Um, Michael Bush uh, slotted in as the DH. Uh, but wanted to have you guys talk about uh, some of the other names on the list uh, as well. And Jonathan starting behind the plate. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Samuel Basayo, um, the Orioles catcher. You know, as much hype as Jackson Holiday deservedly gets, what Basayo did this year was kind of bonkers. This was his, his uh, full season debut. He began the year in single A. He ended it in double A. He spent almost all the year as an 18-year-old um, while catching and playing first base, and his catching has been getting better, but offensively he was kind of off the charts and you know among any minor league hitter with 400 or more plate appearances he was third in wrc plus that means he was ahead of jackson holiday and junior caminero um he had 162 wrc plus slash 313 402 551 and that 953 ops was among the highest and even though right now He's ranked as the Orioles' number five prospect. Uh, there are a lot of people internally. If I were to redo it right now, he'd be their number two prospect behind Jackson Holiday. All right, and Jim, um, I know you want to talk about a couple guys here, uh, one of whom we've already talked about, Junior or Jackson Caminero, uh, and Owen Casey. Yeah, I mean, with Caminero, I can kind of make that one brief because we, we've talked about him already. But, you know, I, I think the cool thing is, I mean, not only do you have a, a, a tremendous year, I think we're seeing teams be more aggressive, not just about calling guys up, but about calling guys up to use in the postseason. I know we're going to touch on that later. But, you know, the, the Rays feel like Caminero, you know, gives them as good a chance to win as anybody else right now. So they jumped him from double A. And he's going to play a, a role for him in the playoffs. The, you know, the guy on the team, and I was glad he made the first team because I think he deserved it, who probably has like the least glaring uh, numbers is Owen Casey of, of the Cubs. Um, and I think that's partly because he played in the uh, Southern League, which is not a big hitters league. You know, he hit 289. I don't know if anybody else on this team hit under 300. You know, 22 home runs, but 22 home runs was fourth in the Southern League. He was third on base, slugging, ops, 
He was 20 years old, one of the youngest guys in the Southern League. And, you know, you know, based on age, I think he probably hits the ball harder consistently than most anybody in minor league baseball. You know, we, we decided when we did the midseason top 100 prospect update, you know, he came out as the best power prospect on that top 100. And the thing that was really impressive to me as well was at the beginning of the season, he was striking out at a huge clip, like 38, 40%. And that was when they were using the pre-tack balls and strikeouts were way up. And I don't know how much of it was that they got back to using non-pre-tech balls and how much of it was him making adjustments. They got the strikeout rate down to about 25% in the second half of the season. And if he can keep the strikeout rate around 25% with his power, he's going to be a superstar because the power and the exit velocities are just crazy for a 20-year-old. You're right, Jim. Uh, He's the only player on the first team uh, with a a batting average below 300. Um, All right. I mentioned the uh, right-handed and left-handed starting pitchers on the team, uh, Thorpe and Snelling. Uh, the relief pitcher on the team, an interesting one, Jonathan. Yeah, and we, I know we talked about Orion Kirkering uh, a bunch last year, and we were answering a mailbag question. Last week, uh, even. Last week, did I say last year? You did. Yeah. Um, we probably did not talk about him. <laughs> last year no no we did not talk about him at all last year no probably his name was not mentioned i mean he was an interesting draft guy but uh you know i think a lot of times when guys come into pro ball and you know they're going to be relievers you kind of automatically think well i don't know you know he 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 was given a little bit of a chance to start uh in his junior year and that didn't go well but he was drafted to be a reliever only and i mean he he went from a ball to the big leagues uh again to tease our talk about postseason rosters uh he he's on the phillies postseason roster that slider is going to play at every level and his numbers across the board were absolutely ridiculous uh you know he among all pitchers who had what uh, where did i put the cut off 50 innings or more he had the second lowest xfit behind jackson job um who i know jim saw in the fall league yesterday as we we're taping this and he was among the league leaders in among the minor league leaders in a bunch of everything he was third in strikeout minus walk percentage i mean he had a 186 batting average against a, a whip well under one because he really didn't he only walked like two per nine while striking out 13 and a quarter per nine and he was just dominant everywhere he went and then got up to to the phillies and did not seem to have any difficulty with the spotlight of the big leagues of a pennant race. Uh, so I'm excited to sort of see what he might do during their postseason run. All right. Uh, so that was, we're talking about the all MILB team. Uh, you can see the complete first and second teams on MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, another award that was given out was for the team of the year, uh, not the prospect team of the year, but the, uh, minor league team of the year. And that went to the Norfolk tides. And I mean, guys going into the season, uh, we, we always do, uh, you know, a, a story on the most prospect loaded teams in the minors and right off the bat, Norfolk was at the top of that list, but like going into a season, a team that's loaded with prospects, isn't necessarily going to be a team that, uh, succeeds in terms of their winning percentage on the field. You know, there's there's a lot more to it than just being loaded with prospects. But this team was one of the best teams in the minors all year. Uh, they won the International League, went on to win the AAA championship. 
I think they had nine different top 100 prospects on their roster at times this year. Um, Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall on the mound. Um, obviously, the number one overall prospect, Jackson Holiday, ended up there. But it, it, I mean, that lineup was just ferocious. Uh, Heston Kerstad. Uh, it, it just like at any point during the season, even with movement up and down the ladder from double A to triple A, triple A to the big leagues, it seemed like at any given point that lineup had like four or five top 100 prospects in it. And Jonathan, I know last week uh, or last year, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about, was it the 2005 Jacksonville Suns team? Uh, yes, that, that's correct. That stands out to you as one of the, the best, probably the best you've ever seen. I was curious, Jim, you know, I want to talk about Norfolk too, but also curious about some of the the best minor league teams uh, you've ever seen that that stand out to you in your memory. You know, you're you're putting my failing memory on the spot here without without any preparation. You want me to wax eloquent about Norfolk for a bit, and then you can. Yeah, well, let's talk about Norfolk first. No, no, I was going to say like the one that remind that, and I like I'm not going to be able to come up with a year. I want to say it was like '93. We we I remember Baseball America one year we had a cover. And we called it the Grady Bunch because it was Grady Little was managing, I want to say it was a double A or triple A team in the Braves system that had a prospect at just about every position. Um, but like I'm now struggling to come up with what uh, it was an early 90s Braves team when their farm systems were loaded. And they had a, a, a like I'm yeah, I, I I'm gonna have trouble coming up with it. But I'm like I don't know if like I'm I'm looking at baseball reference and trying to look here real quick. I don't know if it was the 1992 Richmond Braves that had Vinny Castilla and Ryan Klesko and I'm not making this sound that great. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I I don't know. I don't have one off the top of my head. I do remember those Jacksonville teams that that Jacksonville team was loaded because we did a feature on them as well uh, at Baseball America. But I I wish. I can remember what the Brady, the the Grady Bunch cover of Baseball America was, but that was one that that jumped out at me. That would have been that would have been uh, what after the, after their pitchers, that bunch of pitchers came through. It, it wasn't. I think they had a loaded lineup where they had pretty much a legit prospect at every at every position. I did do a quick Google. And uh, it means that I'm going to be falling down a rabbit hole of Brady Bunch trivia because that's all that came up on my Google search. Because I try to, I try to do Brady Bunch Brave, and I'm like, nope. Um, so Norfolk, yeah, I mean, with they had four t- guys in our top fifty in the lineup for the AAA championship. I mean, that's like, it's kind of insane um, at that level. It used to be, remember, you know, AAA was kind of, I won't call it a wasteland, but it was not known for that quantity or quality of high-level prospects. So you know, it was exciting to see. And guy, it seemed that any time a guy got called up from AA, he performed. I mean, we obviously didn't have any idea when we started that you know, Jackson Holiday would end the year there. Uh, but you know, Heston Kerstad ends up in the big league, and you still have Cowser. I mean, you know, even Connor Norby, who no longer in the, you know, as, as ranked as high, is still a good prospect. So that – a ridiculously talented team and it's always fun and doesn't always happen that you have high level prospects young for the level and they win that's kind of checking off all the boxes which is why we they were the the choice for that award i was say one other thought with them that's interesting i mean the orioles are trying to win obviously at the big league level this year i mean they're they're going to playoffs they're going to be a favorite to come out of the american league 
And because their team was so stacked with young talent, they, they were able to keep a lot of those guys in AAA too. A lot of times if you had a team like the Orioles that's having the season they have, those guys would not be in Norfolk playing the AAA National Championship game. They'd be up in the big mm-hmm. leagues trying to help the big league club win. So I, it's just another we, – we talk all the time about how deep the Orioles system is. And I – well, they've been number one in our rankings, our biannual prospect rankings. Is it five times in a row now? Is that what we're at? I think that's right. And then that's with promoting the number one prospect in baseball, Natalie Rutschman, the number one prospect in baseball, Gunnar Henderson, the number one pitching prospect at one point in, in Grayson Rodriguez. And they're still the top farm system in baseball. And, and that depth just shows they didn't they don't have room for all these guys in Baltimore right And that was a fun matchup, that uh, AAA championship with Orioles and Dodgers. Uh, is that a, a potential preview? Ooh, could be. Could be. Could be. Could be. All right, uh, let's take a break and come back and hear from Tigers prospect Chase Young. That's coming up next on the MLP Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline here with Jace Young from the uh, Detroit Tigers. It's uh, opening day of the Fall League is just a couple hours away. Uh, Salt River Raptors. Jace's team is going to open up uh, the season in a couple hours. And uh, thanks for joining us, Jace. Uh, my first question was, you know, this is your first full professional season. You were first-round pick a year ago. Was the AFL on your radar? Was it was this something you were hoping to get invited to, or did you not really think about it until you found out you were coming? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I just tried to, you know, go throughout this past year, like, being where my feet are yeah um, you know trying to stay you know in the present you know trying to go every day work hard every day you know try to grind out the rest of the season because I knew it was gonna be a long season not playing 130 games right. ever before so you know trying to stick to a plan you know trying to go out there and dominate the day every day it, it was my goal um, I never really thought about the fall league but when I got invited I was very special when did you find out you were coming me and I was actually in the uh, the coach, coach's room, um, me and Bigby found out together. Uh, Garco called us and let us know. Um, I want to say, like, whenever Bigby was in AA, so it might have been, like, three weeks ago. Okay, so you didn't know. I mean, it was fairly recent you yeah, found out. Yeah, very, very recent. Are there specific things the Tigers want you working on while you're here, or is it more, hey, just go get another 75 at-bats or so because you're not that far away from the big leagues and, and here's some more quality pitching? Yeah, uh, it's they. So I've played second base the entire year, um, and I think the main goal of me coming out here was, you know, to get working at third base. Um, they, you know, they told me that they just want to give me more options to go to the big leagues faster, um, and kind of work my way up faster that way. Um, so like being able to play second and third, they said, you know, we can play matchup and stuff like that. If you know, I I can move both places, I'll I'll be able to go to the big leagues a lot faster next year. Will you? play some second here as well or is it going to be all third base as far as i know all third base but i mean if skip puts me in there at second base i'm more than welcome to play things tend to get a little fluid too guy gets nicked up and then you need to have you played much third base in the past or i have not no um like i said i mean this past year i played all second base my last two years at tech played all second base so like you know it's it's a new thing um but I'm, i'm open to try it it's gonna be fun how I mean I, I guess just besides just the competition a new position, another thing the folly does is it kind of gets you acclimated, especially in your first full pro year, to like just keeping your body like 
I don't know, rested's the right word, but like, like you alluded before, I think you played, I was looking, you played 128 games in the regular season, mm-hmm. plus spring training, yeah. and now you're going to play probably another 20 games here. You know, when you were tech, you're playing 60 games or so, mm-hmm. maybe some summer ball. Yeah. How, how's your body holding up? How, how do you feel? I think uh, I did a good job, um, you know, kind of listening to other people that have done it before. Um, and, you know, my brother being with the Rangers, it was kind of nice to talk to him because he was able to see at the big league level, you know, what the other guys are doing, like, with their bodies and, you know, being able to help me out with, like, different stuff in the weight room, like, what I need to go to. Like, you know, towards the end of the season, I went mostly body weight. Right. Uh, but at the beginning of the year, you know, we're hitting it hard. You know, we're yeah. still doing a bunch of weights and all that. But towards the end of the year, you know, your body breaks down. You know, you're just trying to withstand the rest of the year, you know, try to make it through the rest of the season healthy. How, uh... How much are you going to be following the Rangers' playoff chase while you're here in the Fall League? The whole time. Um, <laughs> I think they play, what do they play, 12 o'clock here in Arizona? I, I haven't looked at the schedule. 2.30 in Tampa. So that okay. I think that's 3, oh, maybe 11.30 yeah. here. And then it's like, I think there's only night games tomorrow. So you like you could definitely watch the first game probably. Yeah, I'll be able to watch. I'll be watching, trying to watch the whole thing, you know, just trying to root on my brother, you know, them. You know, I look, I, I've met a bunch of them, so it's going to be fun to watch them for sure. Would you have gone to the games if you weren't here? Is yeah, your family there? Are your parents there? I think my parents are going to try to go. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to get to go, but I think I don't think they'd miss it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just how I'll put it. What's your relationship like with your brother? I mean, obviously, it's got to be a great resource. I mean, you have a brother who kind of you, you went through everything you have. You know, he went to Tech. He was a star. He was a first-round pick. You know, you, you've avoided the injuries that plagued him kind of early on in his career. But, like, I mean, is it a supportive relationship? Is there some sibling rivalry, too? I mean, how much does it help having somebody who's basically going through everything that has gone through everything that you're going through now? I think it's, you know, it always has, has me with the upper hand, yeah. um, you know, when it comes to health reasons and, you know, how to avoid certain injuries of, you know, contain, or like controlling your body, you yeah. know, throughout the whole year. I think that's huge. You know, we're very competitive. I mean, I think that's what, you know, makes the off season so fun and what, you know, you look forward to, you know, going back. We work out together at Tech um, with a couple other guys in the Rockies organization um, that played with us. And we go back and we just compete the whole off season. I think that's the most fun, you know, we get out of it is competing yeah. in the off season, you know, setting this up for a good year, you know, and trying to go out there strong and trying to perform at a high level. So between the two, who's the better hitter? He well, he is for sure. But right now, you know, he's because he's done league, at the big league level. He's, he's at the big league level. You know, he's. I'm still in Double A. You know, trying to work my way up there next year. So I'm just trying, you know, to keep grinding out and you know, trying to get there where he is. What's the best advice he's given you about pro ball? I would say, um, you know, this past year, I kind of went through like a mechanical thing, hitting wise, with like a a timing thing, with like a leg, almost like a leg kick, to per se. Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of helping me with that the whole year of like, hey, you're doing this wrong. Hey, like, hey, you're doing this wrong. Hey, you're not, you did this one week, but you're doing this now. Like, I was kind of like picking his ear probably, you know, a lot, you know, <laughs> more than usual because like it was something new and it was something I was trying to learn. And he's very helpful, you know, like giving me insight, like, hey, I think you're doing this and this and that. Give me certain drills to go in and like practice like that next morning. And then I would go in and try to practice it before, you know, and try to perfect my craft. So is he watching videos? He got. Were you able to show him video of what you were doing a lot, or? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think he can pull it up on what he has. Um. So like, it was nice for him to be able to just pull it up. Like, hey, you're doing this. You're doing this. He wasn't 
really watching. I don't think he really has time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's not watching the games live. Yeah, I don't but... think he watches, but he definitely, like, if I were to text him and be like, hey, I was, I felt this, what do you think? He would go and watch it. Okay, yeah. Know, I don't know if it's me. true media or something. Yeah, I think probably, it is true media. He could probably pull it yeah, up. Yeah, he pulls it up on there. You know, he just goes back and, like, looks at it, you know. And if he, you know, right now, like, if he needs, has, has a problem or something, you know, he'll text me and be like, yo, like, what do you think? Like, I'm just like, stay aggressive, baby. Like, hit, hit that heater hard, you know, and if they throw something else, just whack it, you know. It was, that's, that's the name of the game, you know, staying on the heater, you know, trying to hit balls hard. Were you able to go to his debut last year, or were you in instructional league or still playing at that point? I was not able to go. I think I might have been still playing. Yes, I was still playing. Okay. I was in West Michigan. Okay. Um, yeah, and I actually got – our game had just finished, and I walked in, and he hit a homer on his first at-bat. That, so which like, was pretty cool. So I was kind of happy I got to see that and everything, so it was fun. So, you, you know, this year you had a really nice year. You know, you, you even kicked up your production on a level when you got to double A, and you had struggled. I mean, struggle's probably a little bit strong. You had a so-so debut, but, like, you were better this year and even better when you got to double A. Did you do anything differently? Were there adjustments you made, or was it just a matter of getting used to pro ball? I would say it, it's a little bit of getting used to it. You know, you know, the everyday grind. I think not many people understand, you know, there's got to be a transition. Yeah. You know, in college I play – mostly just weekend series maybe a midweek right um so like being able to withstand six days in a row you know i was playing every day so like i'm trying you know maintain my body maintain that you know a good approach every day you know and try not to give away too many at bats and i think you know west michigan you know i was just very unlucky let's just put it that way yeah. uh, i think i lined out a lot you know i mean that's just part of the game i mean the you're, it's going to even out eventually. Yeah. So. Well, it's like the whole process versus yeah. results. Like mm -hmm. if you're hitting the ball hard and yeah. like maybe the the batting average and the slugging percentage mm -hmm. don't show it, but like you know you're doing what you need to do. Yeah, so like, I mean, my average, you know, wasn't there like in high A, but my WRC plus was saying otherwise. Okay. I expected WRC plus and everything. It was saying otherwise, so I knew I was doing something right. Yeah. I just, you know, wasn't getting the results on the field, which, I mean, it's it's okay. I mean, it's it evens out over time. Yes, yeah. Yes, sir. I mean, it will even out, and you know, we'll just keep going. But a lot of people think the jump to Double A is the biggest jump, level to level, when you're going. I mean, I guess going to the big leagues is a different, whole different thing. But within the minors, did you find that true? I mean, did you find that Double A pitching was a lot tougher than you had seen in the past? Or I mean, you handled it very well. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, it was definitely a. You know, I had a good first week. Um, in double A and then the next week, you know, I struggled, you know, I mean, I think every, everybody's gonna do that um, But it's more of just like being where your feet are, you know Just trying to come in every day and trying to grind it out with the guys you're with, you know Because they're going through the same thing. I think, you know, being in that clubhouse I was able to like talk to Justice Bigby here, you know, guys Chris Myers and you know All those guys, you know, being able to just talk about certain things, and, you know It was a lot nicer, you know, going up and you know having those guys around you and like that have been there for a while and kind of had success, you know, pick their ears about certain things. I always like to ask guys to kind of self-scout themselves. Like, when you look at yourself as a player, what do you think your strengths are and what do you think you need to work on the most? Man, uh, I would say my strengths or my power. I'm, I'm going to, personally, I'm going to say my fielding. Yeah. Um, I think I, I'm a pretty damn good fielder. Um, but uh, I guess the one, I have a pretty good arm, um, per se, but I think the one thing, you know, obviously, is I could work on my speed, yeah, 100%, like no doubt. And obviously, um, I could cut down the strikeouts a little bit. I mean, I think everybody could say that, but you know, I saw an interview with Mike Trout saying like the pitchers are just getting better. It's <laughs> since he's coming, 
since I, he's coming in the league. I like, don't know how anybody hits. I mean, you you look at like video of yeah. guys throwing. They're throwing harder than ever, and the yeah. ball's moving in like mm-hmm. different directions. Yeah, I, I don't know how anybody hits. Yeah. Like, so like I mean, when you see an interview with Mike Trout saying like the pitchers are just getting better, you know, since he's ever whenever he's gotten in the league. So when you're seeing a Hall of Fame type guy that's <laughs> yeah. you know playing right now, like the days you're playing, like it makes yourself kind of like okay, like. Let's go keep working. Let's go yeah. trying to keep dominate today. Yeah, no, I mean it's a different game than it was even twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, yes, sir. What um, you know, you went to Double A, you had success. You're here in the fall league. You start to think about how close the big leagues are. Like, it's not too far away. Have you? Are, are you thinking about that at all? Man, I'm. You know, I'm trying. You know, just stay where my feet are. I think. Uh, you know, I don't. Those are all uncontrollables. Um, I can't control those. So, you know, just trying to do what I can day in and day out to get better. I think that's the main goal right now. Who do you think is the best pitcher you've faced since you've been in pro ball? Is there, is there anybody in particular who st- stood out? I'm terrible with names, okay. to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, like, I think I saw, you know, Witt, Bobby Witt will say this one time, you know, you never want to give a pitcher too much credit, you, okay. know, yeah. you know, just trying to go out there. And, you know, we're competing at the yeah. same time. You know, I don't want to give that guy too much credit. Um, so I, I don't really know off the top of my head, but, you know, again, I don't want to give them too much credit because, you know, we still got to go out there and compete, you know, and not, you know, just give up and at bat just because, you know, I think he's good. So still going out there trying to compete against everybody. Well, that's fair. Well, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask an easier question. I'll have you give us a scouting report on a couple of your Tigers teammates. Okay. Jackson Job, one of the more exciting pitchers we're going to see here. You played with him some. You probably haven't hit against him unless it was in spring training. I, I, or something. I haven't got to face him yet. Which he, is probably nice. Like you know, he, he got hurt in spring yeah. training. He didn't want you know. I give him stuff all the time. You know he just didn't want to face me. You know. Yeah. I wanted to see what he was about. But uh. But what's it like playing behind him? It's awesome. I mean, you know, he's electric. I mean, the fastball's got ride. I mean, he's his slider's unbelievable. I mean, he's. I don't know. He's he's a pretty damn good pitcher. You know, when you're watching the stuff, because usually second base, I'm kind of up the middle on righties, and you're just watching the stuff do all this different motions. You're like, damn, that's that's pretty impressive. And he throws a ton of strikes too. Yeah, a lot, lots of strikes. He's gonna pound the zone, and I think that's what makes him so special. He pounds the zone. He's got great stuff. Gets a lot of ground ball outs. He doesn't really care about the strikeouts. He's just gonna go in there and compete and try to get you out. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because like we don't usually get a lot of great pitchers here in the fall league because usually if, if you're healthy all year yeah. you hit your innings limits so yeah. they're not adding and so the best pitchers always wind up being guys who miss time but it wasn't a serious injury it wasn't mm-hmm. an arm injury so he was kind of like mm-hmm. the perfect yeah. storm so i'm really excited i think he's going to pitch tonight right yeah, yeah. he's, he's going to be electric tonight he's going he's fired up already you know he came in earlier he was all fired up and so i think it's going to be a pretty electric tonight yeah no so we're looking forward to him and then what about bigby i mean justice bigby yeah. was i think a 19th round pick. He was. He not, was. not a famous guy, and he went. It's funny, I was looking him up today, and I do. We split the draft up at ML, and I have kind of the Southeast minus Florida, the Midwest. So I had Texas Tech, and I had Western Carolina, where Justice is from. Yeah. And I'll admit, I, I didn't know who he was. Like, he never really was on my draft radar, and he had one of the best years of anybody yeah. in the minors. Like, mm-hmm. how's, how's he do it? What, what impresses you about Justice? Man, I. My big thing is, like, when I watch a hitter, you know, be on the same team, is his, let me see his rhythm and timing. And his rhythm and timing this past year was unbelievable. It was one of those things that, you know, it didn't matter what they threw. He's going to hit a backside homer. He was going to hit a pull side homer. He was going to hit everything he hit was hard. I mean, it was very impressive to see, like, 
the day in and day out rhythm, um, rhythm and timing he had against pitchers. I mean, it was very special to watch. He doesn't strike out that much either. Like no, he does a lot of damage and makes a ton of contact. He so. does got a lot of contact. I mean, he's he's a great guy. That's that's what makes it you know so special is because he's such a great guy off the field too. Is you know you root for those guys and guys that you know are great off the field as well. Is that part of the fun of the fall league? I mean, getting to play some more with guys you played with during the season. Oh, get four weeks. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know. I, I think that's awesome, you know. I mean, we got guys from other orgs that absolutely raked this past year, and I think that's, you know, just what makes it so special, you know, get to know those guys. You get to see next year if those guys make their debut. Yeah, I played with that guy, you know, in the yeah. fall league, you know. You know, you just got all these memories you make together as, you know, players. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Jace. It's, uh, I hope you enjoy your time in the fall league. It's been fun talking to you. Thanks a lot. Yes, thank you. It's Jim Callis and Elite Pipeline. That was Jace Young with the Tigers, and uh, we'll be back with Pipeline Podcast in a minute. Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callison. We were just joined by Jace Young. Uh, excellent interview, by the way. He was fun. I, I, I enjoyed talking to him, Jason, and we talked for probably 20, 30 minutes after that. So. That tracks. He, he's very excited. Yeah, he sounded he sounded like it. Uh, sounds like uh, he's also excited to watch his brother in the postseason. I thought that was uh, pretty cool. I mean, he, he seemed like he was going to do whatever... Uh, Whatever he had to do to to be able to watch him, and uh, sounds like a really nice uh, relationship between uh, those two. Um, another Tigers prospect, um, and uh, Jace talked about him, and Jim, you saw him yesterday. Uh, I think one of the more anticipated players for for all of us uh, in the fall league is Jackson Job, um, a guy who, I mean. I feel like, you know, ever since he was drafted, it's been like we were waiting to see him. Um, and, you know, now we're going to get a, a little extra taste of him because he's in the fall league um, and a good chance for you to see him up close yesterday. And uh, came out uh, and as as Jay said, he was fired up and it uh, looks like it paid off on the mound. Yeah, no, he looked great. I mean, you never know with pitchers how many innings they're going to get out here. I don't know if we're going to get Jackson for the whole fall league. I hope we do because he looked really good. You know, He missed the first half of the season. He had lumbar spine inflammation that cropped up after a bullpen workout early in spring training, and he didn't think much of it at the time. He certainly didn't think he said that his season was going to get delayed until mid-June. So the, the, the nice thing for us and Arizona fall league watchers is he only pitched 64 innings this year. It was not an arm injury. He's fully healthy. So they sent him here to get some innings and, you know, four scoreless innings last night, you know, the, the slider, he's got the high spin rate slider that was working last night. You know, fastball was a lot of 96, 97. And it was interesting because, you know, the, the, he, he had swings and misses with both those pitches, but he actually had more luck throwing his cutter and his changeup for strikes. And he said that was kind of the case at the end of the season. Um, he got two of his four strikeouts and four scoreless innings on the changeup that he's been working on using the changeup more. Um, the cutter is a new pitch he added this year. It, it sits around 89 to 92. Um, and he's able, I think, because it's got shorter break to land it for strikes more consistently than the slider. So it wasn't just the case. You, we'd always heard, you know, he's got this, you know, going back to, I think, what, 
the summer before his um his draft year when he was the number three overall pick in, in 2021 you know he's got the 3100 rpm slider and he wasn't just throwing sliders and getting guys to chase i mean he was he's doing pretty well and, and it was it was interesting talking to him because obviously he's here to get innings because he didn't get a lot of innings this year um and he said, as I asked him, are you working on anything in particular? You know, that, you know, pitchers, it's always, you know, the secondary pitches, using them more often, and he mixed them in. But he said the Tigers are working with him. They want him – he's been more of a lineup on the first base side of the rubber. That's where he's always pitched from. And they wanted to pitch on the third base side of the rubber. So he's essentially, as he described it, going to creep from the first base side of the rubber to the third base side of the rubber as he goes through the fall league. And last night he said he kind of moved more towards the middle. Um, and they think that's going to add more deception and help his fastball play against right-handers. Well, um, so I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, you know, he's not, it's, it's not just pure stuff, you know, just talking to him for a little bit after the game, you could tell like he's really into the, the mental side of pitching and, you know, it's not just, Hey, I'm going to go beat you with pure stuff. He's going to try to out pitch you too. And what I didn't realize, I was doing some research for the story. You know, he didn't qualify obviously for any of the stat rate leadership uh, things in the minors this year because he didn't pitch that much, but anybody who pitched at least 64 innings, which is what he pitched. I didn't realize that he had the best walk rate and the best strikeout to walk ratio, which was 84 to six in the entire minors for, for guys who pitched as much as he did. So I would not be shocked based on the season he had once he was healthy and my forwarding look at him last night, if we see him in Detroit next year, even though he hasn't pitched um, a whole lot of innings. And I'm also going to take real quick this time to announce that not only am I going to be taking every other two weeks off as vacation, I'm now only going to interview players with initials JJ. Yesterday it was Jace Young. And it was Jackson Job. Oh wow! Today I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to track down Jason Hockamy um, <laughs> as my interview for today. Wow. But I'm only I'm only interviewing players. A deeper dive right JJ. there, man. Yeah, because uh, well, I was trying to think of a guy with the initials JJ, but uh, both those guys were excellent. Um, so I'm just gonna stick with with players with initials JJ because they're apparently very good prospects and very good interviews. Yeah, as yeah, as are Jacksons uh, in, in general, right? The, Jackson Joe True. is the the fourth highest ranked Jackson on our top 100 prospects list, and I tried to make Junior Camonero Jackson as well. I was gonna say, were you including Jackson Camonero in that? I don't know. I just you know, uh, it was weird for me to be out in Arizona and interviewing players and then not see any baseball. I mean, I saw some batting practice, so I'm excited. After talking to them, we talked to to Job, and yeah, he was a very good interview. The th- one of the things that stood out, you talked about a strikeout to walk ratio. He didn't walk anybody in his last five starts, including the bump up to double A. That's pretty impressive for a guy who missed a bunch of time and has the premium stuff. So I'm excited to, you know, hopefully they keep him out because I don't get there until I think my first game is the 23rd of October. So I I need him to stick around for for a little bit longer. Yeah, we got Jackson Job on opening day of the Arizona Fall League and uh, Ricky Tiedemann on day two. So the top two ranked. Uh, pitchers out in the desert going on days one and two. Uh, reminder that you can watch a lot of these uh, Arizona Fall League games on MLB.com. Uh, go to MLB.com slash AFL. There is a live streams page where you can check that out. All right, we're going to move on from the Arizona Fall League 
to the MLB postseason. Arizona Fall League got underway on Monday, October 2nd, and the postseason underway today as we record this on Tuesday, October 3rd. Um, And as always, we have done our how they were built story. This used to be a a series of stories. We did one on each team in the postseason. It's now one story that encompasses all the teams in the postseason, 12 of them now. And uh, basically it's a breakdown of how each team's roster was built. Um, It's broken down into uh, free agents and then one category that includes anyone acquired by trade, waiver, claim, or rule five draft, and then the homegrown bucket of talent uh, players acquired via the draft or international signings. And uh, then we also look at it through the lens of not just the sheer number of players on the roster that were acquired in each way, but how those players have performed and the B war that they have accumulated over the course of the season. And um, yeah, you, you look at the graphics that go with the story and it's just a, a nice, easy snapshot that enables you to see how the teams were built and the success that each team has derived from uh, the different modes of, of obtaining players. And this year, when you look at the war, um, the Braves uh, far and away have the highest war uh, among any team at 55.4 on the American league side, the Rangers uh, at 49.8 slightly ahead of the Astros at 49.2. And guys, we we've seen over the years and I've, I've lost track of, uh, you know, for a while we were tracking this more closely, but we saw for quite a while um, a trend where, and I guess it's not really surprising, but the teams that accumulated the most war, that had the most uh, accumulated war on their postseason roster, tended to go deep into the postseason. Yeah, it'll be, it would be interesting to really dig in and see the correlation year to year and, and whether that's the case. And I do want, and I also wonder how it's, you know, how it's split up, you know, so like for the Braves, for instance, you, know, you mentioned the, them leading in war. So much of that is from their lineup. Um, and they, obviously they hit a ton this year, kind of top to bottom, ridiculously good. But you wonder if, you know, if there was a, a more of a correlation to pitching, and war, whether that makes more of a difference, because I find I, I feel like and this is completely anecdotal without looking at all like teams that have the best offenses don't always do as well in the postseason because they don't pitch as well. Now, that's not to say the Braves have no pitching, but it's really that lineup uh, that was constructed in all sorts of ways, you know, international signings, um, some draftees led by Austin Riley. And then, of course, the the pair of trades with the A's that brought in Matt Olson and Sean Murphy. So they kind of used every which way to, to put together that lineup that has been a ridiculous juggernaut. Hey, I'm always interested when I think we see this every year, but that there's just how many different ways there are to build clubs, you know, that it's not like there's one blueprint you can follow. And, you know, I look, you mentioned the top two teams in American league, Jason are both mine and the Rangers and Astros, and they're they're entirely built entirely different ways. The Rangers had, I think, the fewest homegrown players of any of the playoff teams and ranked last in terms of drafted players and draft war, even with with Josh Young having a a nice season. I guess there's another J.J. I can talk to. Um, 
but they, they, their team was built almost entirely with free agents, you know, which is going to happen when you spend $685 million on free agents last two off seasons and trades, you know, Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, and Anthony Ivaldi. And that's not even counting that it would be even more stark or more pronounced if Max Scherzer and Jake DeGrom and Jonathan Gray weren't all injured right now. Um, you know, but they, anyway, they, they, that's how the Rangers have done it. And then you look at their their AL West rival, the Astros, are no playoff team has more homegrown players or homegrown war than Houston. You know, their two best players were top five picks in the same draft in, in Kyle Tucker and Alex Bregman, but they've stolen guys like Chaz McCormick and JP France in later rounds and had a bunch of bargains on the international market. So it, it's just always, I, I can get lost in that chart for a couple hours looking at how teams put together talent. You know, I always try to look and see who's the most balanced approach. And I think um, that's the Dodgers this year, which I guess isn't surprising given how much we talk about their ability to develop prospects, but they also have the financial wherewithal to go out and, and sign guys like Freddie Freeman as free agents. So I always find it, I, I, this is one more interesting things we do. I can, like I said, I, I'm looking at your nice color coded spreadsheet you set up, Jason, with green and yellow and red and various shades of those colors. And it, it's just very, very enchanting to me. I, you know, I'm going to wind up missing my fall league game. I'm just going to be sitting here staring at this spreadsheet and, and, and not, not snap out, not, not snap out of it. So. I was wondering, Jim, can you, can you interview you guys who go by JJ? Like, could you track down JJ Matajevic? And that's, I think his initials are JJM. It doesn't, it's not the same. doesn't count. No, right. I, I, I cannot do that. Regarding the postseason and prospects and rookies, we we're looking at this before uh, we started recording here, and there are a ton of guys who were ranked highly on our preseason top 100 prospects list who will be participating in the postseason. So this should be a fun one. I'm, you know, every year it's it's fun to kind of turn our attention from we're watching players in the minors all year, obviously keeping our eye on uh, guys who get called up and rookies. But, you know, when you get to the postseason, it's just MLB postseason. Then then the focus really shifts to these guys who, I, I, as we were going through some of these names, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a rookie. I, it seems like he was, you know, in our prospect world years ago, but he was actually on our top 100 prospects list going into this year. But uh, I think we counted up, what I say, 11 uh, players who were among the top 50 prospects in baseball entering this season uh, who will be in postseason play. And it started right at the top with our number one and number two prospects heading into the season, Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll. Um, Grayson Rodriguez was number seven overall. Jordan Lawler, number 11 overall. Um, you go down the list of teams that have made the postseason uh, and had top 100 prospects entering the year, Bobby Miller, Sal Fralick, Curtis Mead, Josh Young, Evan Carter, Hunter Brown, Royce Lewis. So just stacked tons of uh, rookies to keep an eye on. And it's always always fun to see those guys uh, early in their careers get you know thrust into these situations where they can really uh, thrive on the big stage, um, you know, the biggest stage in the in the postseason. All right. Uh, we have our mailbag question from Stevie D. Stevie D, thank you very much. Uh Stevie asks, out of all the prospects who are attending the AFL, which ones have the most to gain after this minor league season? Well, I think it's 
the pitchers for, for me, yeah, who had their seasons, you know, cut short. You know, we, we've talked about Jackson Job. You mentioned Ricky Tiedemann, Jake Eater coming back from Tommy John surgery. I feel like if pitchers who didn't get a chance to pitch a whole season come out here and show quality stuff and perform well, that helps ratchet up your confidence in them. Like you remember a couple of years ago when Owen White, who had had his pro debut delayed forever by Tommy John surgery. And then his first game on the mound, he made a feeling error and he slammed his hand on the mound. And he broke his hand and he missed more time. He barely pitched. And he came out here and pitched, I think pretty much every one of his starts was, was, was very, very good. And, you know, jumped onto the top 100 list. So I feel like, I feel like the hitters, Jonathan, I mean, I'm sorry, the pitchers, Jonathan have more upward mobility I mean, you look at some of the top hitters who are out here, like the Colson Montgomery's and the Carson Williams, and, and, and like we already know those guys are good. So, so to me, it's it's the pitchers in general. I think so. I you know uh, we interviewed Tristan Vreeling. He's another guy who's not thrown a pitch. Um, the Yankees prospect. Uh, he had some elbow issues, so uh, the fact that he's making his unofficial pro debut there that kind of stands out. I, you know, listen, I think there are some of those top hitting prospects that this could catapult them and get them ready for the big leagues um you know without without question uh, i think overall i agree with you the one guy i'm going to throw out um hitting wise is robert hassel who was here lat you know here i say here arizona fall league just because he was hurt he had the handmade injury um you know didn't get to show what he could do and and didn't really get on track during the during the regular season uh he told us that he was finally feeling better, like close closer to the end of the year. So I think that he could, as a guy who was like really highly regarded and whose prospect star has faded, could kind of reestablish himself a bit with a strong fall league performance. That was the one bat that sort of stood out. Yeah, I was going to say, Jonathan, that's an interesting subset of prospects too, because you have guys like Gavin Cross and Jacob Berry who were for top 10 picks in the 2022 draft who came out and had surprisingly disappointing seasons and you know this is a hitters league so if those guys come out and hit 350 in the fall league it doesn't necessarily mean oh all is well but they have a chance you know, like like hassle to kind of get the arrow pointing back upward again as well all right stevie d thank you very much for that uh, question and thanks to jace young for joining us and thanks to everybody for listening that's going to do it for this week's episode of the mlb pipeline podcast Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.